Today's sermon is called Hope in a Hopeless World. You know, if you look around on what's going on and the craziness of the world that's happening, um, it's, there's never been a time like this, not in my lifetime, you know? I mean, just, just to overview what it looks like and where things are at, you know, um, the state of the times is, you know, look at all the wars that are going on. I mean, you look at what's happening in Afghanistan, it's horrible. All the different things that are uh, occurring over there and, you know, and to add to all the stuff that we're going through already, you know, to actually have that going on too is just added to that, you know. There's over a hundred conflicts going on around the world right now. That's just to tell you how much war is happening in the world right now. You know, we're we're just it's we're not getting along. There is the, there's no peace that the world offers at this time. Also, when you look at famines, you find out there's over 200 million people that are in quote unquote in a famine situation right now. Um, one of the books that I was reading uh, was talking about hunger. And it was talking about there are one billion people in this world that don't have enough to eat, that don't have shelter, and that don't have running water. One billion. And that if you have those things, if you have enough to eat, if you have shelter, if you have running water, you are considered wealthy in this world. Because one billion people in this world don't have that. And that's a situation right now. We're in famines. There's people hungry all over. Drive down the street to L.A., man. You'll see tents everywhere. You'll see homelessness everywhere. It's all over the place. And it's a crisis time right now. You know, where you see it. Also, looking at the times today, we're looking at the coronavirus. I mean, we've dealt with the, the when it first came out. We had all those closings and everything. And then you had the Delta virus surging, you know. And right now, there's concern about the new variant called the Lambda variant. The Lambda variant originated in Peru, and it's the main coronavirus variant that's dominating that area. It's spread into South America, and it is now in the U.S., uh, the Lambda variant is very concerning because it's more contagious and it, there's a big possibility that it's immune to the vaccines that we have. And there is right now 152 cases of the Lambda variant in California. So on top of everything that's going on, on top of all the craziness going on in the world, you know, now we have the Lambda variant coming and it's just like, it wearies the soul, you know, to where you're like, man, when is it going to end? When are times going to change? And on top of that, your own personal trials, the craziness going on in your life where you don't have enough work, you're dealing with uh, situations in your own life, your finances, your struggles in life, maybe divorce, these type of things. And you look and you say, how can I have hope in a hopeless world? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Hope in a hopeless world. Because how, as a believer, you 
have a different position than the rest of the world. You have a relationship with God. And that affects everything. That changes everything. And in the midst of... So we talked about the, the, pest, the famines, the wars, and the, the plagues. And I want to read you a scripture in, in Matthew. In Matthew 24, verse 3, it says, Now as he sat at the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They want to know when's the end of the world. What's the end of the world going to look like? What's it going to be like at your second coming? And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, answered and said, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, plagues, or pestilence, and earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginning of sorrows. We see that that's our world today, in more than any other time in history, to where we see you know, we're dealing with plague after plague after plague. I remember my son, you know, years ago, you know, about 15, 20 years ago, he used to have a video game to where, you know, it would be like the end times and everybody was wearing a mask because of viruses and pollution and all these things. And now you see that, I see that in my lifetime. I see that today going on. And we look at all these things and we see that Jesus actually described these last days. He actually told us what it was going to look like as a sign of his coming. And you've got to ask yourself, you know, what kind of hope is there? Well, the world's offering you false hope. Their hope doesn't have any foundation to it. You look at what hope the world's telling you and the world is telling you, together we'll get through this. How many times have you heard that on TV or seen it on the signs and everything? Together we'll get through this. And it's a positive mental attitude. Have a positive mental attitude toward all this. But that still doesn't change our circumstances. That still doesn't fix the variants that are coming. That doesn't affect the people that are being sick. You know? And it's just like a mantra. If you say it enough, maybe you'll believe it. But that doesn't make it true. You know, if I have, there's a gorge there, and I have a bridge made of stainless steel. And I have another bridge that's 100 years old, and it's falling apart. And I say that I'm going to take that bridge over there that's falling apart, because I believe that it'll hold me. I, I believe with all my heart I'm going to make it. Well, no matter how much you believe, that thing's a piece of garbage, and you're going to fall right through the gorge. Because it's not how much faith you have. It's not how much you really believe. It's what do you really believe in? Is there substance to what you believe? Or is it a broken on bridge? Because my hope is in Christ. And you can rely on hope in God because it's founded on the Word of God. This book is the number one bestseller in the world. 
in history. This is the number one book in the world. Jesus said these words I speak to you. They are spirit and they are life. And the promises of God are here. And God has been faithful to keep his word into changing, into being everything and anything you ever need in life. The Bible says that everything pertaining to life and godliness is right here. And this offers us hope. The hope of God. Hope for our life. So where is God in all this? Where does God have a place in this? Because we have, you know, where they say, we'll just get through this, and then they want us to you know, hope in the government, you know, hope, you know, just trust us, just do what we say, you know, and uh, it, we saw how the world changed, like in a matter of a week, the whole world was locked down, that's never happened in history, governments all united one, boom, changed everything, and then, after that, then you have these whole things that they're, you know, doing with the vaccine, you know. And I got, I got vaccinated way before this whole thing became a political football, you know. So I'm vaccinated. But at the same time, they politicized a vaccine for control. I mean, you think it's bad here in Australia. They're rioting in the streets. They're putting, you know, fire hoses on the people, shooting rubber bullets, all that other stuff, because people are rioting because they're trying to force the vaccine. In France, they're rioting because they're trying to have them, uh, they're forcing them to have vaccine passports. And it's going nuts over there. Here, it's getting pushy because they're saying, okay, you want to get vaccinated? You're fired. You lose your job. You don't want to get vaccinated? We're raising your insurance 200 bucks a month. And they're forcing it down your throat. You know, just, you know, biblically speaking, you know, uh, vaccines is nothing new. We've always had them, and, and it's always been up to the believer. Whatever God's put on your heart, that's what you're supposed to do. If God has told you don't take it, don't take it. I mean, even in school, kids, parents won't vaccinate their kids because they don't feel it's right. They don't have that conviction. So, okay. But other people, man, I got to get it. We got to do it. We got to do it right away. Okay. But it shouldn't be an issue to divide the church. It shouldn't be an issue to say, hey, you got to do this. You have to do this. You should be forced to do this. You see, the, in, after World War II, they convened what they called the War Crimes Tribunals. It was basically because the Nazis committed crimes against people. And a lot of the people that they brought up that were Nazis were doctors. And these doctors were before the court because the Nazis were experimenting on the Jews. They were experimenting on people. And so they decided at the War, Tribes, uh, War Crimes Tribunal that you cannot, to force somebody to take medication without their consent 
is a violation of human rights because of that. Because you never know what's going to change. You never know what's going to happen. You know? And so you have to do what God leads you to do and how God has put that on your heart and where you should be. But like I said, me, I'm vaccinated. Whether you get one or not, that's between you and God. It should not be a political football. It should not be something that uh, divides the church. The church, But they're using it and to, to manipulate and to control. And all of it is a prophetic preparation for the Antichrist. Because when the Antichrist comes, there's going to be a world crisis. And when that world crisis happens, he's going to appear on the scene. And we now have seen ourselves how everything can come together so fast to be united for one cause. And he's going to say, I will save us all. I will do it. And the whole world will follow him. The whole world will follow him. This type of preparation of hearts and governments had to take place before we can ever have the introduction to the Antichrist into the world. So prophetically speaking, we are being prepared. But these are the type, where is God in all this? What is God doing in all this? How is, how is God giving us hope in all this? How am I supposed to have hope in all this? Let me share with you some things that God has done that we have real hope. We have real hope because of the promises of his word. Let me share with you some of those promises. First of all, God took care of the root of the problem. The problem is not my political position. okay? Because you should never be known for being a Democrat or Republican. You should be a Christian. And you should be these things and have these things that you vote on or whatever based on the Bible. And that's it. I shouldn't have to say, okay, if you're not a Republican, don't come in here. Because you, you can't do that. You have to be a Christian. I don't want to be defined by my political party. I want to be defined by my walk with Jesus. And that alone. Because then we stand the problem that what happened in Ireland, the two political parties, you know what they are? Christians and Catholics. They're political parties. Being a Christian is not being about a political party. Being a Christian is about being in love with Jesus Christ and Him alone. And I want to follow Him because He saved me. That's what it should be, plain and simple, and keep it there. You see? But God solved the problem because the problem was the hearts of men, the sinful nature. All these wars going on because of the sinful nature. That sinful nature is in us. That's why you don't have to teach that three-year-old to lie. Did you do that? No. You didn't have to teach him to lie. He did it on his own. You have to teach him not to lie. Because we have a sin nature. And that sin nature leads us to do awful things. 
all those wars, that bomb attack in Afghanistan, that's a terrible thing. But what kind of evil nature does a person have to have to kill all those people like that, to do that type of thing? Or to, to cheat on your wife, or to rob somebody, or to you know murder somebody. All these different things come from our sin nature. Our addictions to pornography, to drugs, whatever that is, that we can't beat. The only way you can change in your sin nature is by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but through him the world might be saved. We can't let the media define our relationship with God. We can't let the media twist God's love and say, You're haters. And then all of a sudden, social media doesn't want you to get out the message, so everybody's blocking you. You know, it comes down to, what am I doing with my life? Am I sharing the love of God with my neighbor? Am I sharing the love of God with my family? Am I sharing the love of God with the world? Me, one-on-one, because that's the way it always has been. It always has been that way. But that has to change in me. And by the blood of Jesus Christ, Jesus broke the chains of sin in my life. The Bible says that the old man was crucified, that sin should not have dominion over you, that you are no longer a slave to sin. At the cross, Jesus Christ broke the power of sin in your life. You're free. As a believer, you're free. But you know what? We tend to believe the lies. And the enemy comes in and says, oh, you're not free, you're not free. Or you struggle, and then all of a sudden, you're in bondage again, and you don't realize that it's just because you're believing a lie. When you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, you became free from those things. And God gave you His Holy Spirit to be with you, to overcome. God gave you the power of the resurrection. He didn't just tell you, don't do that. He gave you the power of God to overcome it from now on. But do you believe it? When temptation comes, it's like, oh, oh, I got to give in. Or do you say, you know what, man? God broke you. The chains are broken. You don't have dominion over me. I don't have to listen to you anymore. God, give me your strength. The strength of the resurrection. You know how powerful that is? Nobody's ever raised anybody from the dead, resurrected. That's a power unknown to man. It's a supernatural power that he's given you to walk that walk, to give you the ability to say no. He's given you his Holy Spirit. I'll never leave you nor forsake you so you never be lonely again. All those things he gave us. And all he's required me to do is believe him and trust him, and he'll do the rest. I'm not strong enough, but he is, man. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so blessed for that. 
Secondly, he's promised us that he will be with us through trials. That he will be there for us when we go through things. You know, I can't tell you. I mean, most of the lessons I've learned in my life is going through hard times. I can't tell you a lesson that I learned going through good times. You know? Oh, man, I had such a good time. I learned so many lessons. I I can't say that. But I'll tell you what, going through the hard times, I learned lessons. I learned about life. I learned about overcoming. I learned about changing and what it does through the trials that I went through. And you want to know something? You get to know God more by going, Him going through trials with you rather than just take it away. You pray, God, just take it away, Lord. Would you really learn anything? Would you grow closer to Him? Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were told to worship this 90-foot-tall idol that King of Babylon had made. And when they didn't bow, it was pointed out because he told the whole world to bow. And three men didn't. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. He told them, listen, I'm going to blow that trumpet one more time. You bow to my idol because if you don't, what God is there that will save you from me? And they told him, even if our God doesn't deliver us, we will not bow to your idol. And I, I can almost guarantee you that Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were like, God's going to deliver us. God's going to deliver us. God's, we're not going to go in the fire. We're not going to go in the fire. All the way to the point where they pushed him in. But when they went in the fire, the king looked and he goes, how many guys did we throw in there? Three. Well, how come I see four and one of them looks like the son of God? He's like, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, come out. And when they came out, their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. And the only thing that had burned away were the bonds that held them. And I guarantee you, those three guys, they had such a deep, close relationship with God. Not because he delivered them from it, but he saw them through it. Have you ever prayed, God, I want to be close to you? He's going to do it. But how will he do it? He'll probably allow trials to come to your life. To where you can see his mighty hand. God could have just told, you know, Moses walk in there, say, let my people go. And the king of Egypt say, okay, see you guys. And they'd be all like, hey, but they would have never seen how close they were to God. They would have never seen how powerful God was. They would have never seen how much God loves them. But when they were trapped at the Red Sea and the full Egyptian army coming with chariots rushing right at them, and they were scared, and Moses said, stand and see the salvation of the Lord. And this huge pillar of fire jumped up over them from leading them and boom, landed right in front of the Egyptian army. And Moses stuck his staff in the water. The Red Sea parted big enough for two and a half million people to walk through. And said they walked on dry ground. That means God sucked the water even out of the dirt. 
And then when they got across and the Egyptian army tried to go through, God drowned the whole Egyptian army. I guarantee you their idea of God changed that day. Because God saw them through. God just didn't take it away. He saw them through. He held their hand through it. He made it through. And he does that for us. He does that for us. You going through a trial right now? God is with you. When God spoke to Moses through the burning bush, he said, Surely I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cries because of their taskmasters, and I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them. That same God is our God. He sees, he hears, he knows, and he's able to deliver. Trust him. But that's our hope. He'll be with us through trials. He's not only empowered us and cleansed us and taken care of the root of the problem, he promises to be with us through our trials and what we're going through. And then he has given us heaven. He's given us heaven. Let me share a scripture with you. In John chapter 14, verse 6, or verse 1, it says, Let your heart not be troubled. Jesus is talking. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be there also. Hey, he went to go to prepare a place for me. I have a mansion in the sky waiting for me. I have the hope of heaven. You know what one of the biggest blessings is? You look at our world today and how it is and all the terrible things that are happening and the worries and the craziness. Understand, believer, this is all the hell you will ever see. This is all the hell you will ever see. But understand, you who do not believe, this is all the heaven you will ever see. This is as good as it gets for you. Because God doesn't send any man to hell. He has made a way. He sent his son. All you have to do is ask him into your heart and give him your life. If you choose not to do that, you chose hell. He gave his son so that you can find him. That you could find hope, peace, freedom, joy, and heaven. But you said no. This is all the heaven that you will see. But my mansion's in the sky, and I can't hardly wait. You know, praise God if he sees me through my trials here, he blesses my life here, but I can't wait to go home and to be with him. When I read the word, I'll be reading, and then all of a sudden, God is speaking to me. I'm like, wow. And I get filled with the Spirit, and I'm so blessed. And I'm like, man, Lord, I just got to know you that little bit more than I did before. And it was so exciting. Imagine being in heaven at his feet. And it's going to take you all eternity to get to know him. And every day, you're going to be going, wow. 
This is so awesome to be with him. The Bible says that in his right hand is fullness of joy. You being with God, that brings you joy. That brings you joy, not emptiness, hope and joy that you get to go home. He even gave us heaven. So that's, you know, those are the promises that he gave us. And that's what God is doing during this time. That's where God is in all this. Now we need to look at ourselves and say, where am I in all this? Where am I in all this? Is my relationship with God right? The scripture talks about in Luke chapter 24. Oh, sorry, Luke chapter 13, verse 24. In 22 it says, And he went through the cities and the villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who were saved He's asking, is there going to be a lot of people going to heaven? And Jesus answers the question. He says, strive to enter the narrow gate. For many will say, many will seek to enter and will not be able. And once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he will answer and say to you, I don't know you. Where are you from? And then you will say, we ate and drank in your presence and we taught in your streets. But he will say, I will tell you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Depart from me, you evil worker of iniquity. Okay, these aren't just random people. These are people that thought they were serving God. You see, There's people out there that think, oh man, I go to church, I pay my tithes, then they live like crazy the rest of the week. They do what they want the rest of the week. And here he says, strive to enter the kingdom of God. That word strive there in the Greek is agonizo. We get our term agonize from. Are you agonizing to get into the kingdom of God? I'm not working for my salvation. Jesus Christ saved me. But every day my life is challenged by the devil himself, by my flesh trying to get what it wants, trying to get sin, and by this world. And it's a full-on onslaught against me to get me to sin, to get me to walk away from God, to get me not to follow God. I have to agonize sometimes to just say, Lord, you killed it. I don't have to listen to it. Lord, strengthen me that I can get through this. Lord, anoint me to do your will. And it's not about working for my salvation. It's about believing what God has done, trusting in it, and let that work in my life. 
Or, or there's people out there that, that think they're just on cruise control. They think if they go to church, they do this, that God knows, it's grace, he died for my sins, it's okay, and it's not. You're going to be knocking on the door and he's going to be saying, I don't know you. Why? Because you lived a life of sin. You made no effort to grow. The Bible talks about how we are to be conformed into his image. Every day, he's molding and shaping us. Every day, he's asking us to surrender one part of our life to give up that's not pleasing to him. If it's, if it's uh, you know, a sin that you're dealing with and he's put his finger on it and, said, and he's convicted you and he's told you, you got to stop. Are you saying, eh, it's grace. You know me, God. You know how I am. That's not what he's called you to do. He's saying, put it on the altar. Give it up. And I'll help you. I'll give you the strength to do it. I already killed it and broke its strength over you. Go forward. You can do it. And grow. The Bible says that God purifies us as gold is purified. And in Peter's time, the way they used to do gold purification, they used to put it in the smelter, and they would step on it, heat it up. And when it heat up, then the... The melted gold would just wiggle, and then all of a sudden, the dross would float to the top. All the impurities. Then they would scoop it off. But then they had to heat it hotter because more impurities are in there, but they, they melt at a different temperature. And so heated it hotter, that came up, and they kept that process going until they could see their reflection in the gold. And when they saw the reflection in the gold, that meant it was pure. It's 24 karat. It's ready to go. And that's how God purifies us. We say, God, you know, take away this anger problem I have. So what's he do? Shh, 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 shh. Turns up the fire. And all of a sudden you're getting mad here, you're getting mad there, you're getting, and you're stumbling. You're like, God, I asked you to just take it away. But what's happening? It's floating to the top because of the fire. So that we can surrender and say, Lord, I surrender. I give it, I give it to you. I leave it here. And he skims it off the top. But trials aren't over, right? What's he do? He heats it hotter. Here comes something. Man, I don't even know I had this issue. You know? And all of a sudden, these other things. Why? Because he's purifying us. So that one day he could look at us and he'll see his image in us. And when we're with him, the Bible says we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. But he's given us that victory. He's done that for us. And because of that, am I striving? Am I striving to be like him? Am I allowing him to do that work in my heart? Also, are we conquering? In Romans chapter 8, verse 27, it says, Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Are you having victory in your life over these issues? Because if you say, I'm strong enough, God will let you hit rock bottom. 
He will leave you to where you're saying, I'm destitute. I'm at a loss. I've tried everything. Here you go, God. You help me. You do it. And that's what he wanted in the first place. Surrender. Surrender it to me. And I'll see you through. We'll make it through. And that's how you get the victory. Because you don't realize it's by faith that God does the work. Jehoshaphat heard the scouts came and said, there's a number, uh, there's an army coming at us that is so big we can't even number it. We can't even put a number on it. And they're coming to wipe us out. So Jehoshaphat called on God, Lord, you've got to help me. I don't know what to do. Here, we had revival. We gave our lives to you. We reestablished our covenant with you. And we're excited. And all of a sudden, this whole army's coming to wipe us out. We don't have any answers, Lord. But our eyes are on you. And the prophet said, came to him and told him, Okay, I want you to go meet that army. And I'll fight your battles. And I want you to send the army. And I want you to put the worship team in front. Not the Navy SEALs or the tanks or whatever. He said, put the worship team up front. And then the soldiers behind them. And they go to march out to this valley. And they get there, and it's a valley of dead people. Without number. Because in the night, they got confused. And they thought each one were the children of Israel. And they just started wiping each other out. So by the time the morning came, they got there. They didn't even have to lift a finger. That's what it means to be more than a conqueror. You give up you doing the work. And you let God come in your heart and do the work for you. And you surrender and you trust him and you trust his word. He's done that for us. We should be striving. We should be conquering. And also during these times, I mean, what are we supposed to be doing during these times? I mean... What, what's the world coming to? It's going crazy out there. And not only that, it's going so fast. I've never seen the world change so fast, so rapidly. What are we as believers supposed to do during this time? Well, Jesus said, occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. In other words, live that life. Follow him. People are going to see who you are. They're going to see if you're phony or not. They're going to see that you have joy. They're going to see you, you loving God. They're going to see God's hand on your life. And they're going to say, hey, man, what's up with you? What do you got? What's different about you? And God's going to give you the opportunity to tell him about his love. Let me share a scripture with you. In the book of Revelations, chapter 3, the church of Philadelphia is supposed to be the last church. And that church will be raptured. The Bible talks about that God will take his church. And that's going to be the big event and the opportunity for the Antichrist. Oh, man, all these people disappeared, you know. We got to take control. But he talks to them. And this is what he says in verse 8. He tells them, I know your works. See that I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. 
You have little strength, but have kept my word and have not denied my name. Don't you feel like that's the church today? That it has little strength, has little say-so in what's going on? This is how the, but the church is faithful. And God acknowledges that. But look what he said there. He said, I see I have set before you an open door. And that term there in the Greek is talking about an opportunity to share the gospel. And no one can shut that door for you. You look at this world, has there ever been more of a time that people have been more open to God than now? They're lonely. They're going through anxiety. They're going through addictions. They're going through hurts. They have family members dying, people dying in war. They're going through all this stuff that they see going on with COVID. There's more teen suicides now than history of them keeping documentation of teen suicides. They're going nuts. Life's changed. They have no identity. They can't even get to school anymore. Life's changed. People are struggling, staying home. There's more, you know, uh, freeway shootings than ever because people are freaking out. You know what? The one thing that skyrocketed in sales during uh, COVID? Booze. That went through the roof. Why? How do I cope? I'm stuck. I'm doing... It's their escape. People's hearts are prepared right now for the love of God, to find the peace of God, to find the joy of God, to find forgiveness of sins. Man, you know what? People feel guilty. Let me tell you something. If you feel guilty, are you in sin? And if God has forgiven you, because you know, there's people that are like, you know, God, please forgive me, please forgive me. And then the next day, God, please forgive me, please forgive me. And they beg for like three or four days. You know? The Bible says that when you ask God to forgive you, he casts your sins as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more. An all-knowing God only forgets one thing, that's your sins. And how far is the east is from the west? Well, if you go north to south you'll eventually go south if you keep going north. But east to west, you'll never be going the east. If you're going east, you'll never go west. It's continuous. I cast your sins, it's not from the north and south, as far as the east is from the west, and I remember them no more. You go before the judge, he says, not guilty. You don't say, but no, judge. Uh, please forgive me, you know. He says, I just said you're not guilty. Why are you still here doing this? When you ask God for forgiveness, the sin is washed away. There's nothing to be guilty of anymore. The guilt you feel is a lie from the devil. It's just trying to keep you down. Accept the fullness of joy. The Bible says, come freely and drink from the wells of salvation. It's there for the taking. God wants to give it to you. God wants to bless you. Enjoy the Lord. Let him blow you away with his grace and love and mercy. Because when you have that joy in these times, people think, how is that possible? 
because my hope is not here. This is not the end for me. And my God is seeing me through. And one day I'm going to go to my mansion in the sky and be with him forever. Those are my realities. That's the truth. And it's yours too if you're walking with the Lord. Don't be deceived. Don't deceive yourself. It's not a time to play games with God anymore. It's time to be right with the Lord. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, it is time for you to find him. Because the world offers you a false hope and you have failed in your attempts to satisfy life. Let him take away your loneliness. Let him take away your pain. Let him free you from bondage and bless you beyond comprehension. So that's our hope. That's how we can have hope in a hopeless world. Because our realities are founded in the word of God. And God is faithful to you and to me. But let's keep striving. Let's keep conquering. And at the same time, let's take this opportunity that he's given us and share with the dying world the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they can be free as well.